Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Westside, we're glad that you're here, and thanks for being patient with us. We're just trying something new um, in this season, so we love our family worship style. We're glad that your kids are a part of the service and um, in here with us. The last time that we gathered together um, as a church body was March 8th, which is crazy to think about. Um, We were in our second week of Lent, and as a meme that I saw going around said, this was the lintiest lint that I've ever linted, right? When it comes to giving stuff up and being a part of those things. And um, I just can't imagine what's just transpired even in your world when I think about just our family and then I look at the state of things. When I think about um, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, and the social unrest that's taking place in the world. Many of us, things um, happened so quickly. Many of us became homeschool parents, and we didn't even choose to do that, right? (laughs) Things happened so quick. Um, We even lost a family member in our family, and due to the COVID complications, we couldn't go visit in the hospital. And then 21 days, we didn't see that family member, and then we were by their bedside. And then things um, happened so quickly Many of us have experienced um, things happening, whether it be in our marriages or whether it be in our parenting or whether it be in our jobs. There's, there's a word that's been thrust upon us, and we think it's other words. We think it's like, oh, man, I'm just down, or man, I'm just angry, or man, I'm just anxious, or man, I'm just... But I think there's a word underneath all of those words that actually explains that, and, and I think it's the word change. There's been so much that has changed. Whether we liked it or not, it's, it's been thrusted upon us. And I think actually the emotion that a lot of us are experiencing is, is one of grief. Um, we experience that many other emotions, but because I had this life, and then something happened that I didn't ask to happen and I couldn't control, changed happened, and now my life looks like this, And I think what a lot of us experience is we're grieving that things aren't like this anymore. 
And we even try to, we're, we're trying to hold on to it so much, we're saying things like the new normal, which by the way is like an oxymoron. That literally those two words by their definition don't work together, okay? And so in a season of change, I just was asking the Lord and praying, what, what's this going to look like? What are we going to experience? And I believe there's some good news. Because in a season of change, um, I think there's one thing that stays the same. And it's really the big idea today, and it's this. That when everything around us is changing, when everything is changing, the call of Jesus Christ remains the same, which is follow me. No matter what's happening in the world, no matter what is changing, no matter if it's COVID, no matter what's taking place, a loss of a job, no matter what's happening, as followers of Jesus Christ, the invitation of Jesus is always the same. Follow me. And I think in the beginning, maybe when we became followers of Jesus or maybe we're new Christians, we're like, oh man, that's Follow Jesus, right? That's awesome. It's kind of like Simon says, but it's Jesus says, and that's great, and that's cool. But we're experiencing it to a whole new degree in this season in our lives. Why? Well, there's a tension in the invitation. When Jesus says, follow me, here's what we think. Well, I know where we're going. This is great. Because actually, instead of Jesus saying, follow me, what we subconsciously organize our lives around is this. Sure, Jesus, I'll follow you if you follow me. Because I've got, I've got some plans and I know where we're going. So the tension in Jesus' invitation to follow me is this. We've never gone this way before. <laughs> We've never been this way before. And, and if anything has happened in the direction of things... It's, it's revealed to us that, man, maybe some things aren't the way that we thought that they actually were. So where are we actually going? Which enters in to our series entitled Canoeing the Mountains. And you're like, what in the world does this even mean or what does this even represent? Um, Canoeing the Mountains is a book that I read over this break, and it's by Todd Bolsinger. And it's just a book on leadership and about adaptation. But Todd writes the entire book around one scenario, one scene. And it involves Lewis and Clark and the great uh, expedition of the Louisiana Purchase, right? So many of us have been out of school for a little bit. So how about a little history lesson? That's great. I have a microphone. You don't. So here we go, okay? So remember, 1803, under the president, um, Thomas Jefferson, we make the Louisiana Purchase, um, the largest, one of the best deals ever in history. Did you know what you could buy for a square inch in 1803? How much it would cost you to buy a mile? Just a square mile of land in 1803 would run you a whopping $18. $18, a square mile. So we purchased this land from France, and Thomas Jefferson issues Lewis and Clark for one call. They had one call on their life, if you will. And it was to find what is known as the Northwest Passage. So all maps and everybody assumed, because um, we have a picture of what they actually purchased and what it looks like, but nobody had known um, what really this part of the country looked like before. So what everybody assumed was is that, huh, I bet you both oceans are connected by a waterway or a river. You know why they thought that? 
because trade was the absolute most important thing ever in the world. So they thought if there's a waterway that connects this landmass, um, it would be the equivalent, uh, equivalent of like owning the internet today, essentially. You would own all of the commercial trade and to be able to go back and forth. So Lewis and Clark, their expedition, they launch out. Actually, do you know where they launched out? I'm a little historical fact. St. Charles. St. Charles. So they launch out to St. Charles. They travel. This is just to get to the part, okay? They technically haven't even started the trip yet. They travel 4,000 miles against the Mississippi Current River, right? Against the current. They lose a comrade on the journey. It takes them 18 months just to get to their starting point, okay? Like, just think about that. You can actually take this tour now, and it takes like two weeks, and you have like air conditioning and stuff like that, okay? I mean, this was, this was unbelievable. This was intense. The reason why Thomas Jefferson chose them is they were water experts. They were literally experts at canoeing. Meriwether Lewis uh, could make maps. He was able to navigate waterways like nobody could imagine. So they finally get up north to what was assumed to be the Northwest Passage. And literally history records the moment where Meriwether Lewis, after 18 months losing a friend, a hard journey, it's supposed to happen. Here it is. He literally scales the side of a mountain to peek over to think that he is going to see rushing water, the equivalent of what they thought was like the Niagara Falls. This is where the ocean meets waterways. This is where we're going to put in our canoes. This is where it's going to happen. We have answered the call. Here we are. And as he looks over, this is the exact image and the exact spot of what he saw. He did not see water. He saw thousands of miles of the Rocky Mountains. I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a lot rockier than this, right? Everything's wrong now. There's no water. You see, they were experts in water, but now what they were looking at was mountains. You see, there's a problem. They're not experts at hiking. They're experts at canoeing. So the whole moment hinges on everything that they had prepared for wasn't what they were looking at. And so now there's a choice. You can pack up. You can go home. Pretty good excuse. Hey, by the way, nobody's ever been here before, and everybody lied who wrote a map. This isn't what it was supposed to be. So now we're going to go back, and we're not going to do this anymore. Meriwether Lewis decides to... Answer the call. You see, everything changed at that moment. And so the key was now, how do we adapt? How do we pivot? We weren't prepared for this. So they scale actually back down the mountain, camp for a year. The moments recorded actually in their history, uh, in their journals. One of the companions said that when they climbed to the top of that mountain, ready to see a water passage, one of the guys wrote in the Corpse of Discovery, which was their crew, he said, it was the most dreadful sight we had ever seen. <laughs> Can you imagine that, right? Everything had changed. What they had prepared for was not what they were looking at. You say, Jason, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think many of us over these past months have actually experienced what Meriwether Lewis did. 
when he scaled that mountain expecting and planned everything to be nice and neat and everything changed and fell apart. You see, I think we've all experienced that in one way or the other. I think maybe we've experienced that in our marriages before. You know, that's, that's why people get divorced is because th this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I signed up for. And rather than adapt to the call, we give up. Or maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's um, in this season of being a mom or being a dad. I wasn't expecting um, this. You see, we all experience that moment of this is what we thought it was going to be. So how do we answer the call of Jesus to follow when everything around us is changing? Well, in the passage in Luke chapter 5, there's sort of like a golden thread, if you will. There's some things that change. We see, just, just look at verse 11, which is the kid's side memory verse. Verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. There was a moment of, of pivot and of change that they answered the call when Jesus said, follow me. They had to adapt to something that was changing around them. So, so here's what I want to do over these weeks. Here's what I believe the greatest failure could be for us as a church and for even you in your life. I think the greatest failure for us as a church that once we start to regather again is that everything would go back to normal. I think if everything goes back to a normal, that is a waste and a fail. Why? Because God works in our circumstances. There's actually a Bible verse for it. In, the, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, He who says that the former days are better than these is an idiot. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? That's literally in there. So literally, you know, the good old days and back in my day and the problem today is, and you see the situation like on that, okay? All right? The Bible says, no, 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 because why? Because God does new things. God does new things. But there's a problem with new. Is that we can't control new. Oh, you see, normal? Oh, we can control normal. This is what I do, and this is what you do, and then there's the exchange of good. So everything's normal, and we can control that. But what I see in, in this passage in Luke 5 is that when we encounter Jesus and accept that invitation to follow, there's, there, there's a newness there. So over these next couple of weeks, I want us to look at what does it look like to faithfully and flexibly follow Jesus in this culture that's changing around us? How do we remain faithful in a season that we've never been in? And there's really one main thrust. There's one main point in the entire message. Doesn't mean it's going to be a shorter message. Just means there's really kind of one big point. And in order to answer the call and to follow Jesus in this new season of life, I think there's one key thing, and it's this. You have to drop what you know. You have to drop what you know. You see, the moment that Meriwether Lewis climbed over that mountain and looked over, and it was nothing that he expected. History records them being water and canoe experts. At that moment, they dropped their canoes. Everything that they had prepared for, everything that they were good at, they dropped it right where it was. And they had to adapt, and they had to change in order to answer the call. There's two things that are, that are dropped, really, um, in this passage. 
I see that some nets are dropped and some boats are dropped. And, and as a cursory reading, that would almost seem not important to us. Like, well, there's nets and there's boats. What does that really mean? Well, I think it has a profound impact, really. The first thing that we see is this, is that you have to drop your net. In these verses, the word nets used three times, right? Jesus comes up, he's washing, uh, it says they're washing their nets there in verse 2. And then verse 4, put out into the deep and let down your nets. And then later on it says that their nets were breaking. Nets, nets, nets. What does that mean? Well, here's the scene. We know that this is not the first time that Peter encounters Jesus. A lot of people think, oh, this is the first time Peter sees Jesus. That's not true. Um, Jesus actually healed Peter's mother-in-law a few chapters before. So, so there's already this sort of aura around this Jesus guy. And Peter and them are fishing. They're professional fishermen. They're not just professional fishermen. They literally have business partners, it says in the passage, that they signal to the other boats. So you've got to understand something about a first century family, and especially in Jesus' day where they were at. You had two options. You were either going to um, be a Jewish rabbi and a teacher, which meant that the rabbi would come along and choose you. You would go to school for a few years. You would memorize the Torah. And then literally you would live with the rabbi and that's who you would become. Or you took over the family business. That's it. It's all the only options you got. And if you took over the family business, listen, don't miss this. This is a big deal. If you took over the family business, that meant you weren't good enough to follow the rabbi. You, you didn't measure up. So... Peter's a fisherman. They're all fishermen. What does that tell me? That tells me they didn't measure up. They failed something somewhere, and so they're taking on the family business now. And, and, and back then, you fished at night. So, so you threw your nets out into the deep in the evening to catch the fish there. And then during the day, you fished up in the shallow on the shore, right? But what we see is that Jesus uses Peter's boat, and Peter's fine with it in the beginning. He's like, totally okay. Jesus, you need to use my boat as a pulpit? That sounds great. Awesome. Then when Jesus gets through preaching, he looks at Peter and says, cast your net. And, and, and I love the exchange. Look at what it says right here in verse 5. It's like a kid not wanting to argue with mom and dad, but kind of arguing with mom and dad at the same time. Jesus says, um, let down your nets for a catch. And then Simon answered, yeah, the, the yeah's in the Greek, you just can't see it, okay? Uh, yeah, master, we toiled all night and we didn't catch anything. Translation, Jesus, you don't lower your nets in the deep during the day. Duh, duh. Listen, Jesus, okay? You're the preacher man who's all like, the kingdom of God is near, repent. Okay, that's cool. You healed my mother-in-law, that's great. But I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing in this area of my life, Jesus, okay? Do you know what I hear in, in Peter's voice? I hear my own voice. Hey, um, Jesus, I need you to do this in, uh, in a relationship, and I need you to do this over here. And then Jesus responds with, oh, yeah, that's great, Jason. Um, here's what needs to happen. Blank, fill in the blank. And you know what I say? <sighs> Yeah, about that. About the forgive as you've been forgiven. I, I know it says that. Like, I know it says that, but you don't understand, Jesus. It's different for me because, you know, God forbid we're the exception to every single command in the Bible, right? 
Because I know that there are, I know, but, but me, see, Jesus, I'm, I love what one commentator says. Listen to these words. As long as Simon's boat is being used for a pulpit, the owner has no objection to Jesus saying in it what he likes. But when it reverts to being a fishing boat, it is Simon's once more. And Jesus no longer has a say in how it's supposed to be used. You see, fishing is Simon's job. In the same way, people will listen to Jesus. They will consider what he says and will even ask him to, quote unquote, make them better or heal them when they are sick. But for him to do as he does in this episode in their lives, maybe to interfere with their job, interfere with their home, interfere with their leisure, you see that is another thing altogether. You see, we think, like Peter thinks, that Jesus' command has no bearance on other matters in our life. There's a tension. Follow me. Follow me. That sounds great, Jesus. What I need you to do is I need you to cast your net. What does the net thing mean? What's the significance there? Well, well it's, a, it's a request. Jesus is asking Peter to do something. But listen, don't miss this. It seems unorthodox. And Peter doesn't know the outcome of it. That's why he doesn't want to do it. He thinks he already knows the outcome. Jesus, I'm like the fisherman here, okay? I know what this outcome is going to be, so I'm not going to obey your command. You ever been there? Ever done that before? Surely not, right? Because husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for the washing of the water of the word. Yeah, Jesus, but you don't understand. If I do that, then, th- then this. How about this one? This one's real great. Want to get real offended? Husband, or wives are to submit unto their husbands. You mad? You mad yet, right? Isn't that great? See, Jesus, no, 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 if I do that, you don't understand. I know what the outcome is. See, listen, in order to answer the call, you have to drop what you know. And here's what it means to drop your nets. Dropping your nets is obeying without knowing the outcome. Obeying without knowing the outcome, do you know what that's called? That's called faith. That's what that's called, literally, Our whole thing is about faith. That's what it's all about. Do you know what obeying with predicting the outcome is? That's called control. And also manipulation. That's contractual. If I do this, then God does this. By the way, that is not Christianity. That's called Aladdin. It's a movie, okay? That's a genie thing. We don't bring that into following Jesus. See, this is how Jesus always meets us. He goes, oh, you thought it was going to be this, right? You thought marriage was going to be this, and then bam, you're quarantined together for like 10 weeks. And you're like, oh my Lord, right? You're like, oh, I love my kids. Wham, quarantined. And you're like, no, okay, right? See, See, here's what we think the problem is. If my circumstances change, then, then, if we just get the thing because I want the thing with the stuff and the stuff will get me the stuff with the thing. And I love that. And I've been wanting this for so long. If we could just get that new house with the new stuff, with the backsplash for the thing and the stuff, oh, it's what I've been waiting for. Then I'll, I'll just joy now. And you get the stuff. Then what do you do? Should we have gone with a different color, right? Should we have 
Yeah. See, I don't think we understand how little we actually don't live by faith. Like, when do the disciples have it figured out? When do they have it figured out? Do you know what's been so tough for me in this season as a pastor? Saying this phrase. You ready for this? Hey, Jason, what about blank? Ready? Here's the phrase. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, Jason, you're supposed to come. You're supposed to resolve my conflict. You're supposed to sprinkle the prayer with the fairy dust on it. I'm supposed to meet with you. You're supposed to resolve my marriage. And then the fairy dust through the prayer is going to make everything better. And then I don't participate in anything. And I just leave going, oh, that was great. But do you know what changes now when I say the phrase, I don't know? It puts everybody on a level playing field. And now what do we do? We just have to surrender and follow Jesus. So we have to drop our nets, which is an act of obedience without knowing the outcome. I hear so much of myself in Peter's response. But the second thing is crucial. It's not just dropping our nets. It's dropping our boats. Oh, You see, we have to drop what we know. We have to drop what we know. And I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably like, man, I wish that I knew what a first century fishing boat looked like and there was a picture that would make this sermon so much better. I'm so glad you asked. We have one right here. <laughs> this is what a first century fishing boat would have looked like. Um, it definitely, probably, most certainly would not have been Peter's, like he wouldn't have bought that or made that. That would have been a second generation thing, maybe third generation. This is everything. I mean, the boat is everything. Guys, we get so detached because we have like Google and our iPhone. We have smartphones that we do dumb stuff on, okay? It's an oxymoron there. But this would have been, every, this was technology, man. This was everything. And, and verse 11 is interesting, right? So Jesus tells them to obey without knowing the outcome, and then what happens? Boom! Incredible outcome. By the way, that doesn't happen all the time. You could obey without knowing the outcome, and the conversation that you had with that individual could go horribly wrong, okay? But you know what Jesus wants from you? Just faithfulness. Just faithfulness to, to the command. So they get more fish that literally the nets are breaking. So Peter's like, Lord, get away from me. You're holy. This is incredible. You're the Messiah. Then it says that they come on shore and they leave everything, which means their nets, their boats. But what else did they leave? The catch of fish. Oh, this is it. This is huge. Listen. Here's a lot of times how we come to Jesus, okay? And, and, and I'm not downplaying your sincerity. Praise God for your sincerity. I believe God's doing something in your life. I believe that God uses our circumstances. But a lot of times, here's how we come to Jesus. Jesus, I just need blank. Please, Lord God. And then God's so merciful and kind that something like that miraculously gets granted. And then what happens to us? It's like we disappear for a while. It's like, right? It's like, oh, what? Hey, you haven't seen? Oh, yeah, I got, you know, with the stuff. See, oftentimes, I think when God grants a blessing in our life, he does it not so the, ble listen, I say this all the time. The goal of following Jesus is Jesus. That's it. The goal of following Christ is Christ. 
That's it. And if you've been sold a theology that says walk the aisle, say the prayer, and then you won't go to hell when you die, and everything's bad right now, and what we need is rapture to happen and get out of here because I'm sick and tired of this place. Listen, that is a false theology. And if you think that's what the Christian life is, I'm so weary for you. It's so much more than that. That the goal of following Christ is the preciousness of Christ now. Even when Christ answers my prayers and my family is healthy and I do have a job and things are going okay, that He is superior and greater than all of those things. That God has given me those things in my life that I should steward them in such a way that when everybody looks at me, they say, He doesn't love money. He uses money in such a way that shows that He loves Christ. She doesn't love her family so much that it's idolatry. She loves her family in such a way that it points me to Jesus. The goal of following Jesus is Jesus. And something happens in the call. They leave everything. You see, fishing is what he was raised to do. By the way, most of the time when we encounter a scenario when we don't know what to do, what do we do? We go back to what we're used to. Example, um, remember when the Israelites were in the desert and Moses goes up the mountain to FaceTime God? He's like, boop, boop, boop. Hey, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. This is great. What happens when he's up there? It's like Christians gone wild. I mean, it's like crazy stuff happens at the bottom of the mountain. And you know what they build? They build a golden calf. I've always wondered that. I'm always like, you couldn't build a tiger, a bear. I'll even take a snake, even though that's demonic. But anyway, right, okay. Do you, know what, do you know what they referenced? Do you know what the God of Egypt is? It's a cow. So what do they do the moment they can't see God? They make a God they can see. What do you and I do? The moment that we have to rely on faith with God. By the way, the disciples do this. What um, happens the morning of the resurrection? After they go to the tomb, he's not there. What, do this, what does Peter go do? He goes and fishes. Remember, then Jesus is on the shore, and he's like, I got some fish and chips. He's like barbecuing and stuff. Why did Peter go fish again? Because that's, he was in a moment where he didn't know what to do. So he relied on what he was always used to. Listen, dropping the boat, here's what I'm trying to say. Dropping your boat is answering the call of allegiance that Jesus demands on your life and mine. You see, we don't know this. We try to add Jesus. Listen, here's the equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's it. That's just very simply it. And the moment when Meriwether Lewis looked at those mountains, and maybe it's you in this season in your life, in your marriage, with your job, with your grandkids, I don't know what it is, but I can't imagine. If you have breath in your lungs, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot going on, okay? I mean, Carol Baskin's got the zoo, guys. I mean, this is horrible, okay? There's a lot happening in the world. And you have a choice. You have a choice. And if you are still dragging your boat on the road that Jesus is wanting you, listen, here's what I'm trying to say. The reason why that won't work in your past knowledge, and this is what happens to Christians, to people who go to church all the time. They think like they don't need to grow anymore. 
And so it's always, a, let's, let's study doctrine now. And, and now I don't need to get into, so, so now I'm in the deep things of God, like predestination, election, and then the grafting in of the Jews in Romans 9, and I am a theologian. And you know what I do? I do that now as my pet project, so I don't have to obey Jesus and love my wife like Christ loved the church, or actually share my faith, or serve at a local church. Here's what Christians do. We think the past knowledge that we've had is sufficient for now. Here's what I'm trying to say. When Meriwether Lewis looked at those mountains, he realized the road in front of him was nothing like the road behind him. And in this season in our life, the road in front of you with Jesus, in parenting, in marriage, in your relationships, in your singleness, whatever it is, is nothing like the road behind you without him. So we have to answer the call. With everything that's changing, it's the one thing that remains the same, is follow me. So in closing, I have two very specific questions. Very specific. And the only way that you can ignore them is to just leave here today and shut your brain off. And if you do, that's your choice. But listen, I think you'll be so frustrated. I think it's the thing you're really longing for, is the adventure of following Christ. The first question is this. What specific act of obedience is Jesus asking of me right now in my life that I am delaying? You know it right now. You know it. You know what it is. And I'm not talking some profound thing here. What if it's the person that you haven't talked to in five years because they hurt you? What if it's a letter in the mail that says, I'm learning to show the grace that I've been given? You see, that's dropping your net because you don't know what the outcome's going to be. And it's so scary. And I believe, listen, that that's where Jesus meets us. That's where Jesus meets us. The second thing is this. What am I still holding on to that is hindering me from answering the call of Jesus Christ in my life? These are called excuses, okay? And many of us have them. Well, it's the season, and now with the kids, and now with the stuff, with the thing, because I got the stuff or the thing that comes in the, in the stuff that leads to the thing, you know. Um, yeah. What would it look like if you just dropped that? Well, Jason, what if it... I, I know, right? It's crazy. But I think the frustration that we experience in our life, and I'll just give you a practical example. During all of this, um, my wife and I figured out that there were some cylinders in our marriage that were misfiring, okay? Am I, am I allowed to be honest in church? Are we okay with that, all right? And you know what I realized? Every time I try to walk down the new road of my, of, of my life with my wife and Jesus, I'm always dragging my ego. I've always got my pride with me. Because I would love to prove a point. And I realize I have to let that down and let that go in order to answer the call. What is it for you? What is it for you? But I know when everything else changes, there's one thing that remains the same. It's the invitation to follow me. Would you stand to your feet and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray? It's been a while, Westside. Let's say these words and let them be sweet on our lips and on our heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful. Grateful when they said to me, let us go into the house of our God. God, I pray for the gift of faith today. There's so much we don't know. I think we've experienced that in this season in our lives. Goodness gracious. The only thing that's certain is uncertainty. What does it look like to follow you, Jesus? God, I pray for the dads. I pray for the moms. I pray for the husbands, the wives, the grandparents. I pray for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that we would be willing to let down our nets and to drop our boats and to answer the call. Because Jesus, you are so worth it in the end. We pray this all in your mighty and precious name. Amen.